when you're asked about whether or not you like being a little person, you always have the same answer. Yes, I always say that I would, if I had a chance to live my life again in a magic wand, I would still choose to be a little person, but I would change the way the outside world reacts to my difference. I like that. You are now listening to Unrelenting Humans Podcast. My name is Lonnie. I am your host. And on this episode, we are talking to international motivational speaker and disability inclusion advisor, Mrs. Becky Karan Kukula. Becky advocates globally for the disabled, fighting for inclusion, equality, and disability rights. I really love what Becky is doing. She is open, opening doors for the disabled, getting them in roles and entertainment and making it more recognized so it's not so foreign. She goes to schools and talks to kids, lets them ask her any question under the sun. We need more people like Becky. <laughs> um, I wanted to bring her on because she has this unique perspective. Even though she has dwarfism, she has such a big presence. She is so educated and a lot of people don't get to know more about people with dwarfism like what they go through as children and so I really love that she shared her story her personal story and I mean I love everything about her she's she's great she is such an inspirational human being so I hope that you guys listen to this and you guys get inspired as I have and just to tell you what's going on and how you can help to get people with disabilities into work more so Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, rate us on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, Amazon. (laughs) And without further ado, thank you for being on Unrelenting Humans. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad. I'm so glad you responded to me when I messaged you. I really think what you are doing is amazing. Everything that you are doing with uh, inclusion and diversity. And so I want to know more and I want my audience to get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us a little more about yourself? Absolutely. Since this is a podcast that people are listening into and they're not seeing any visuals currently, I am a person with dwarfism. So that means that I stand four feet tall as a 36-year-old adult. My family has no history of dwarfism. So when I was born, my parents had never met a person with dwarfism before. Uh, My dad's actually six foot four inches, so people think it's crazy whenever I say that we're related or when we're out in public and people uh, are trying to figure out how that's even possible. But 80% 80 of people with dwarfism are born to average height parents, so it's a very common experience. 
So when I was oh, okay. born, my parents just wanted to find out as much as they could about dwarfism. And back in 1984, there weren't a ton of resources because it was way before you could go to the internet and Google whatever was on your mind. And they could find a few brochures here and there, but there wasn't a ton of information. And it took them about six months to find a specialist in Baltimore who was able to give them the support and guidance they needed to understand that as long as they raised me like they would my average height older sister, uh, I'd be in good hands. I think one of the biggest things is that parents tend to think that if their child has any type of difference, let's protect them from the world and let's hold their hand as long as possible because we don't want to watch them fall. But the best thing you can yeah. do is watch a child fall. And growing up, I participated in sports. Uh, it was kindergarten when I decided to get into soccer. I never played at the competitive level of like travel sports that a bunch of my friends played on or even at the high school level in soccer specifically. But I was on the youth team and it was all about being part of a team. And I also got involved at a young age in swimming. I was on the swim team at the local fitness club. And then in high school, I was actually on the high school swim team. And sailing, at age eight, I started sailing. And then I continued to sail through my college years. And then it did become a, a bit more competitive in the college years. And especially on those windy days with those competitive races, I decided to focus a little bit more on the business clubs in college uh, for the second half of my college career. Uh -huh. And then I just have kind of gotten into this disability inclusion work because when I was graduating from college, I was looking for jobs and I ended up sending out 1000 resumes and went on 100 interviews. And every time I walked in the room, I was judged based on my appearance because I didn't feel like I needed to put on my resume that I was a little person because I thought that I yeah. was still able to do the job. But yeah. but that didn't work. So I eventually connected with some temporary placement agencies and they connected me with some workplaces that I could just show up at and start working as a temporary employee with the hopes of becoming a permanent employee. And the so oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> yeah, happy. Did any of the jobs that you applied for, did they tell you that they didn't hire you because of your size? No, or? I think as you're aware, this past July, we celebrated the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. So I think people were aware enough that it was against the law to say that, but there was yeah. so much body language, they might as well just say that. And right. just avoided the elephant in the room and left the elephant in the room and it continued to be an awkward scenario. And one of the things I advocate for more recently is constructive feedback. So even if they didn't want to tell me that they weren't hiring me because of my physical difference, why don't they just give me some suggestions as to how I could do better in a future interview? But they weren't even willing to do that. And that's what was the most frustrating because I wanted to get that constructive feedback in order to learn and grow. And I know some days I was interviewing up to four times a day. I wasn't going to be on par for every single one of those interviews, but I never got the feedback. So I was under the assumption that that was the only reason why I didn't get the job. No, I, I totally get that. That's crazy. No. <laughs> so you ended up working at 
a temp uh, working with a temp agency basically yes so the temp agency pitched me to jobs so i spent about a month at, at the hallmark channel working in their marketing department and then i started as a temporary employee at creative artists agency which is a large entertainment and sports agency and as a temporary employee i was in the entertainment marketing department for about seven months and then advocated for myself to become a full-time permanent employee and it was nice. Yeah, it was there where I just learned everything about the entertainment and media industry and how much that industry influences societal perceptions of people like me. And there was the sports angle. There are so many athletes that are represented by the agency also looking to get cameos and starring roles in films and TV shows but also doing some great work around philanthropy. And they had the support from the agency to pursue those endeavors. And it took about four years of working at the agency as an assistant until people started asking me what I was passionate about. And I said, I was passionate about changing what we see in the media because it affects how people like me are treated in society. And I formed a brand called Disability in Media and hosted a panel discussion. And as I continue to Google the word disability, the most stories that come up are around sports. And people yeah. assume that if they acquire an injury later in life, if they aren't born with a disability, that they can't continue to participate in their favorite sports. But that is far from the truth. Yeah. And I try to continue to spread those stories so people can see that other people are out there like them, even if they have an experience that turns them into someone with a disability. Exactly. When you were playing sports growing up, what was one of the challenges that you came across? With swimming specifically, I was just struggling to keep up with all that was required for practice, like thousand meters, <laughs> keep going until you get there. Everyone else is doing it. So I just really wanted to do it. And I did as much mm -hmm. as I could. And I was willing to even stay longer. If everyone was out of the pool, I would keep going. But it got, it got to yeah. a point where the club, because it wasn't like at the collegiate level, the club came up with an idea that I could still participate in the races and I could do 25 yards if someone else was going to do 50 yards and I could feel like I was more at their level, just competition and speed wise. And I really think that helped with my self-esteem that they were doing everything they could to meet me where I was to at least feel that I was competing on their level, even though the facts were that I was always going to be slower. Yeah. And yeah, but you were still included. And then like there was that. one more story. When I was really young, people often ask, like, had there ever been points in your life where you just don't want to be a little person anymore? And I was five or six at soccer practice, and my dad picked me up in the car, and he asked me what was wrong. And I said that I didn't want to be a little person anymore because I couldn't run as fast as my friends. And he was devastated because he just didn't know if that was the beginning of an ongoing process of trying to answer why I was born this way. But he ended up having like yeah. a brilliant answer that was like, you were given difference on a platter and everyone strives their whole life to be different and you are going to find a way to embrace this. You're still able to participate with your friends, even if you can't 
be as fast as them, you're going to be okay. And I never ended up asking that question again. And I think it was just like, <laughs> simple reminders that it's part of being on a team above else more than just having right. to be the best. Exactly. Yeah, you sound like you have a really good dad. <laughs> well, a good one. We'll keep them. That was a good answer. Uh, I want to ask, I guess, the opposite of the last question is people always think of the disadvantages when it comes to a disability. But what are some of the advantages that you have found being different? It was so funny. In high school, I ended up getting the Presidential Fitness Award because I was doing really well in the sit and reach because I could reach way beyond my feet. (laughs) And I thought it was the craziest thing because I definitely didn't win at the mile or the half mile or any of the other pieces to the competition, but they were willing to award people for the single events. And I was able to have that be my advantage during that point in time. (laughs) I would say that. Yeah, it's just, it's the problem solving. Like every day when I wake up, I have to think about, is there going to be a step stool near the sink in order for me to reach it to wash my hands after I go to the bathroom or getting ready in the morning? Am I going to be able to see the mirror? If it's not my own house, in most cases, if I am in a house for a certain period of time, I'll find ways to make it more comfortable in order for me to access what I need to access. But when it comes to mm-hmm. going to hotels, I can't always control that. And I prefer to not have an ADA accessible room, which is one that can be a little bit more friendly to wheelchair users because wheelchairs come up a little higher than other mobility devices. And that doesn't help me as someone who's shorter. I prefer to have a standard hotel room. And I asked if I can get a step stool to help me reach the bed and the sink. But there are so many times where they just don't have that as an offering. And I think some of the challenges are that people think either has a disability or doesn't have a disability and there's no in between. But because of that and being able to observe that it's having the ability to educate companies and practitioners and schools that they can be flexible and need to keep an open mind. And through that, I can continue to share my story, hoping that others can feel that they're not alone and hopefully they don't have to do as much of the grunt work once it's their time to shine. And I just think the amount of people I've met because of my disability, my life has been so much richer because of it. And I I wouldn't have even met half the people I know and I wouldn't be doing the work that I'm doing. And maybe I would have pursued one of those sports and done really well at it, but That may have been the only thing I focused on. Currently, only about 3% of roles in Hollywood portray disability. And of those 3% of roles in Hollywood who portray disability, 85% of them are played by people without disabilities. So there's still a very small population of people who are able to play themselves. And it's crazy because those narratives end up turning into what the general public assumes is reality because there are so few portrayals. Right. 
And now there has been a lot of work. The Casting Society of America has been hosting a lot of workshops with actors with disabilities and trying to gain more visibility for the community. But there still aren't enough storylines that include disability. And ideally, someone with a disability can just play a doctor and it doesn't have to be described as a disability. But people's minds just aren't working that way yet. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Long way to go. But then like in the, in the sports world, luckily, there's been a lot of progress with how much visibility the Paralympics has received. It's also nice to see sometimes you see people with disabilities also included in Olympic considerations. But I think it's just having more of an open communication that has a role to play and can participate, but you have to be held accountable too. You have to make sure that if you want to pursue something that you're going to practice as much as possible and that you're going to do the work, you're going to put in the work in order to be taken seriously. I think too many times we're celebrating giving chances to people with disabilities because we've been left behind for so long, but you don't want there to be resentment on the other side. Do you watch Ninja Warrior? I do not. <laughs> but you can tell me about okay. it. No, there was um, an athlete on there named Nate. And he he does, I don't think, I don't believe he has dwarfism. But he is a little smaller in stature. But he is killing it. <laughs> That's awesome. And so... I was just, and then there's other um, athletes like in football and stuff like that that have disabilities. I've been seeing more recently, just in the past few years, where as we didn't see people with disabilities in mainstream sports as much, seeing them more included in regular sports is what I like. I just, I, I just looked up true Shaquem Griffin. He. Uh He has a limb difference and he just got added. He just got promoted to the 53 man roster for the Seattle Seahawks. So up until this point, he wasn't on the roster as a full team member. He was still participating, but that is amazing that he can be taken seriously now. Right. Oh, that's dope. (laughs) So awesome. So how long have you been working in diversity inclusion? I started out in 2014 working at the Actors Union, SAG-AFTRA in the Diversity Mm -hmm. and Inclusion Department. And I was advocating on behalf of actors from all different demographics. There were committees for each of the demographics. I kind of attached myself the most to the Performers with Disabilities Committee, knowing that they had a lot of work to do. And then more recently, about three years ago, I made the transition to work for a nonprofit that supports business on their journey to advance disability inclusion. And I, we work closely with corporations to get them to be more open to hiring people with disabilities and also help them build a roadmap to, to be more inclusive while they're hopefully also hiring new people with disabilities. Right. Because people with disabilities can be part of the solution, as we've talked about, even the benefits of having a different perspective and skill sets. A lot of times when someone shows up at work, they're going to stay at that job for a very long time because they're so loyal 
and just wanting to have that independence and chance. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I can yeah, I totally get that. I was reading when you're asked about whether or not you like being a little person, you always have the same answer. Yes. I always say that I would, if I had a chance to live my life again in a magic wand, I would still choose to be a little person, but I would change the way the outside world reacts to my difference. I like <sighs> that. <laughs> that That's beautiful. I just assume that I live this terrible life because I'm only four feet tall and they assume that I can't participate in activities like they can and they think I'm always in pain or that I just don't experience life in the way that they may but it's a different perspective and I'm okay with it so they should be okay with it too I always catch people in their tracks when they try to say oh I had this experience happen to me but it wasn't as bad as what happened to you and I always say there's a challenge for me and a challenge for you we all face challenges different, but at the end of the day, it's still a challenge. So I don't want you to feel bad for me. I just right. identify that that was a hard time you had to go through. Exactly. So do, um, what you call it? I know you have a sister. Yes. Uh, do you have kids? Not yet. I got married a year ago. Uh, but it is it is in the plan. Uh, we're just trying to figure out when. I, I am 36, so we do need to decide soon. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I am an aunt because my sister has two kids. And then my husband's sisters, he has three sisters, and they all have kids too. So lots of kids. My niece, she's two years old, and I just saw her the other day for the first time in about six months. And she noticed that I was little. She looked at me and said, Auntie B, little. So it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. But I'm really looking forward to the day when maybe I'm with her at the park and a friend of hers may point me out because people do. It's just a reality. And uh -huh. finding out like what her response is, because I know that she'll always love me unconditionally regardless, but it'll be interesting to see just kind of part of her character to develop and see how she responds uh, to people when they mention something. And also her right. own curiosity. I want her to be okay with asking me questions when she's older, old enough to comprehend the answers. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's going to be fun. <laughs> so when you do speaking uh, gigs, do you... Do you ever get to speak to children? Absolutely. Uh, so one of the reasons I decided to start speaking, it was after I the first part of my career was out in Los Angeles, California. I grew up in the Boston area, lived out in L.A. after college, and then I moved back to the Boston area in 2012. And my sister said to me, can you come to my class? My kids, my students really want to meet you. She teach, she taught and continues to teach in middle school and she just wanted me to come in and hang out. And I thought, why don't I come and like try to tell my story? So I practiced with her students. And then I continued to reach out to Rotary Clubs and anywhere possible. And as I continued to Google the word disability every day, trying to find positive short stories to share, I found out about a program called Understanding Disabilities in Reading, Massachusetts. 
and they were looking for a speaker because their speaker had fallen through. And they asked me, what's your rate? So this was about six months after I started practicing speaking places. And I just had to make uh-huh. up a rate. And then I guess that meant that made it official. But what was really cool is I got to learn about different programs and schools targeting different disabilities at, at different grade levels based on probably how much they can comprehend at the different age levels. So they do a different mm-hmm. type of disability in first, second, third, fourth grade. And then middle school is when the speaker comes in and shares their lived experience. So I've always been part of the physical disabilities unit. And then I found other programs yeah. in Massachusetts and kind of built off of that to get more and more experience. And then a few months after that, I went to a meeting of parents who happen to have children with dwarfism. And they kept saying about how much their children were struggling in school and they wanted someone to come in and (laughs) knock some sense into the administrators of like, try to be more inclusive. So that led to a two-pronged approach that I started to take where I would go into the schools, talk to the administrators, tell them about the accommodations I had growing up, and then speak to the whole student body so that student transitioning doesn't have to feel as awkward once it's their time to go into the school. And I can kind of eliminate any elephant in the room by letting them ask me any question in the world. Wow. Okay. So it's, it's, it's fun. And, and I, I just recently did a few virtual talks. It's a little more challenging doing it that way because it's fun to be in front of the people, but any way that I can continue to reach kids, I think they're the best audience. I do speak to workplaces as well, but these kids are curious and this is a time to kind of mold their minds to be open to all types of differences. They can even go home and teach their parents a thing or two. Right. Yeah, exactly. Especially, I mean, right now is it's really uh, focusing on the kids because the future is in their hands, like where this world goes, they're, they're going to be the ones running things. And so if they get it embedded in their brains at a young age and they grow up being more exposed to these differences and just more, you know, knowledgeable about it, then it would, uh, well, we'll get to see some real true inclusion in the future. We need it. So is there anything else that you are working on coming up? I've been trying to put it out in the universe that it is a goal of mine to write a book. I want it to be called Just Call Me Becky because everyone gets so caught up on the terminology. Like, what should I call you? Like, by my name. And that's what most people with disabilities will say. And I'm speaking a lot this month because it's National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And internationally, it's called Disability Employment Awareness Month. And I think it's just trying (laughs) to get my story out there as many places as possible, hoping it can help others. And it also happens to be Dwarfism Awareness Month. So sharing facts about dwarfism and how we really are human, just like everyone else. We just happen to be in a smaller frame. And you said there are how many different types of there are dwarfism? There 400 types of dwarfism. And, 
And what are the differences? A lot. Like, of a, lot different of, types? a lot of intricate differences. So my parents were fortunate the day I was born to find out my diagnosis because there was a nurse in the delivery room who had seen someone with my diagnosis be delivered before. But there are some families where their child may not get diagnosed until seven or eight years old because there are so many details in each different type. But my type of dwarfism, achondroplasia, happens to be the most common and that's why it's a little easier mm -hmm. to diagnose. But there are some who people may have a shorter torso and longer arms and legs, but still stand four feet as an adult. So I have an average mm -hmm. size torso, just all of my organs are more compact and my arms and legs are shorter. But then there are people who may have longer arms and legs and shorter torsos. There may be people who are just shorter. Uh, so with my type yeah. of dwarfism, it can range up until 410, which is the tallest of the classification of people with dwarfism. But now I'm four feet, so a lot of guys who have my type of dwarfism may be in the 46 to 410 range. But then there are people who are three feet or even in the twos. It really just kind of depends on the different diagnosis. And there are different medical complications that may come with different types of dwarfism. I had eight surgeries growing up. So one of the hardest parts in high school on the swim team was missing 29 days of school because I also couldn't <laughs> practice, but I was able to get back in the water eventually. I had seven pieces of my lower vertebrae removed due to spinal cord compression. Oh, A wow. long recovery. <laughs> I can imagine. I don't know exactly what that is, but it sounds like it was would be rough. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So you said you had eight surgeries? I did. A few were related to tubes in and out of my ears because I have narrow ear canals. Then I had tonsils mm -hmm. and adenoids out. And then I had leg surgery because I was bow-legged when I was three. And then they, mm -hmm. they took bone out of my pelvic area and put it back in my legs when I was 13 considered finished growing at that point or just so the bones could grow back together yeah and that's what a lot of people try to say oh the disability community is something different and people with dwarfism don't have a disability but people don't know the full story because we don't really tell it that often because we don't want people to feel bad for us it's just kind of the fact of life we're used to going to doctors all the time growing up and we didn't really know anything different yeah uh, yeah it's a different challenge yeah. there's uh, people that you know eat bad and end up having to go to the doctors exactly. and <laughs> get multiple surgeries because it was wild though Spe speaking of eat bad but my, my mom comes from a, a a very italian family who likes to cook good food so my dad says when he met my mom, he just <laughs> lost control. So then it, it became a little challenging trying to manage weight in a family where uh, food was always really good coming to the table. So my specialist yeah. <laughs> in Baltimore used to tell us that I really needed to focus on losing weight because portion sizes are a beast, like buffets and other things where you think people are generous with the portion sizes and you get a good deal for your money. It's not always mm -hmm. the best case scenario because we have to be careful with portions and it's so hard 
but that doctor tried to get me on a strict plan and the pediatrician in my local area around the same month because the appointments just lined up that way would tell me that I needed to gain weight and I needed to eat cheese because he was basing my measurements on someone my age versus someone my size. So I kept getting this mixed messaging growing up, but I knew I needed to listen to the specialist. It was just figuring out how to step away from some good food. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's I did kind of start <laughs> avoiding desserts and still as an adult don't have a ton, but it's the portions that kill me. Uh, but but my parents would always say, Dr. Kopitz, Dr. Kopitz. He was the specialist. And anything, uh -huh. anytime I would try to reach for a sweet and then it would prevent me from reaching. And they didn't like, they didn't do it to harm me. They were just, they were trying to help me. Right. No, they did yeah. good. That's, <laughs> you would tell your mom, hey, can you just stop making good right. food? Like, <laughs> oh, Lord. Wow. You've been through a lot. You are a very strong woman. Just got to keep pushing. Another thing for my dad is he has noticed, of course, there are days where I'm like, this is tough. I don't say there aren't days where I say I don't want to be a little person, but there are days where the, the going is tough. And sometimes it's if being in a major city and people make comments left and right and you just never get a break from those. It really is when you're in heavy populated areas that it's more likely to happen. But there could be days where it just doesn't feel great. And my dad reminds me that you can have a bad day today, but you better get up tomorrow and show that you can take on the day. And I think I've tried really hard to take that mindset. Like if I'm in a funk one day, like I can't be in a funk that next day. Yeah. It, it, once you go to bed, you got to wake up with a new, it's a new exactly. day, so a chance to. And then dressing up really helps me with that, too. I had one friend who told me I was in a funk and I was just wearing a t-shirt and sweatpants. She was like, try dressing up tomorrow. You'll feel better. And it really does work. <laughs> I agree. I do agree. I really do with that. I did that during this uh, quarantine oh, thing. Good. Yeah a few times so it feels good the power of perception yeah, <laughs> all right well it has been a great pleasure talking I to you um it. i i would love to keep in contact with you and to know how I can help in any way. I look forward to it. And I think the best thing that the audience can do is support authentic com content, whether it's sports or uh, movies, TV, try to find those authentic portrayals of disability and get those box office numbers up so there can be more of them. That was an incredible interview with Becky Karan Kakula. I want to thank her for being on Unrelenting Humans. Oh, she taught me a lot about dwarfism that I did not know. So I really do appreciate her coming on. So as she was saying, there are so many different types of dwarfism. There are 300 
types of dwarfism. Dwarfism itself just means short in stature, but there's so many different characteristics and varieties of things that diagnose the people with these different types. So their characteristics are are different. Some of them are slightly different, but most of them are kind of similar. So they break off dwarfism into two categories, which is disproportionate dwarfism and proportionate dwarfism, which means, well, proportionate dwarfism means that the person is smaller than average all over um, and has a growth hormone deficiency. And disproportionate dwarfism is when the person has an average size, you know, legs, arms, and the torso is smaller or larger and has short arms. It's just disproportionate in general. So the most common type is achondroplasia, in which a person has a normal sized torso and short limbs. So... I couldn't really go in depth of, you know, dwarfism, so I wanted to give you guys a website that you guys can look up. It has all the different types of dwarfism. Yeah, it's really, it's really good for anybody that is in the medical field, and just so you know when people come in, I think it is our duty to make sure that we educate ourselves on these differences for when we encounter them in the field. So this website is called Little People of America. Um, The address is lpamrs.memberclicks.net. I don't know. I just found it on Google, but it seemed very helpful and it's a start. So thank you all for listening. For those of you that have listened this far, you are the real MVPs. I love you. Make sure you rate me. Um, Leave a review if you can. Also check out the YouTube. Leave a comment. Go ahead and like or love. Also, if you're not already following on Instagram at unrelenting underscore humans, follow us there. I will be posting more. And if you have anything to say or you want to be on Unrelenting Humans, go ahead and send me a DM or email me at unrelentinghumans at gmail.com.